Father, we just come, God, with humble hearts before you, and we sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. God, we sing, oh, praise your name forever. God, we love you. And God, we ask this morning, God, that you would just speak to our hearts, God, as we've just called on your name this morning. God, I pray that as Brother Lee speaks, God, as he speaks the word that you've given him, God, that you'd speak to our hearts. Transform us, renew us. God, do what you need to do in us. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence, and we thank you for this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. This is the story of the widow's might. Mark chapter 12. The theme of this teaching of Jesus is this. It's not how much is given that matters. It's how much is left that matters. A little bit of a difference between how much money someone gives versus how much uh, little is left after they've given. Now, Jesus had spent uh, most of the whole week the last week of his life, in the temple, teaching, answering questions. And most likely when this widow's offering takes place, Jesus retreats from all the questions. I, I think maybe he was tired. He's been asked about uh, the resurrection, about taxes. He's been asked, what is the greatest commandment? And over and over and over, the Sadducees, the the religious legal guys, the religious lawyers, they're asking him all these questions to hopefully trap him and, and get him to say something that they can use as charges against him so they can rid themselves of this troublemaker they believe is, is Jesus. And so Jesus, I believe, retreats from the court of men and he goes out and he goes to the court of women where he can find himself a place to sit down and he understands that most of the women are not going to talk with him and so he's going to have a time of some freedom where he doesn't have to answer any questions. Today it would probably be reversed, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would probably be reversed. You can laugh at that because you know it's true. It would probably be reversed where the men won't ask the questions but the ladies will. And so he retreats to the court of women and he finds himself, I think, sitting within eye shot of one of the temple offering boxes. There was 13 offering boxes that were made to look like trumpets. And so those offering boxes are there. And so when the men would pass through to go to their area, that's where they would drop off their offering and go into the court of men where uh, they could do business. And, and just like today, if you go to the wedding wall, the men are on the left and the, the men are on the left and the ladies are on the right. Uh, even in the temple area, there were places that women could not go. And so I, I just think Jesus is getting away from all the questions. And here's what he teaches here in Mark chapter 12, verse 38. He says, beware of these teachers, these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces 
and how they loved the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. Now, the line that catches my attention in this story that Jesus teaches is, because of this, they will be severely punished. The word clearly says that teachers, teachers in the body of Christ will experience a harsher judgment than others. And so when Jesus says, because of this, because of how these religious leaders are treating the people, they're going to be more severely punished. And so I believe you ought to really, personally for me, really pay attention to that. So let's put it in modern day language for us. We don't have any Sadducees. We Our governmental system is not like the Jewish governmental system back in the day. Uh, There is separation of church and state. Then there was no separation of synagogue and state. Uh, The the religious people were the leaders of the community, and and that's just the way it was. They were the leaders of the courts, and and, uh, uh, that's how it was set up during this time. Now, Jesus said, beware, be careful, watch out for preachers who wear fancy clothes to be noticed. That's what he says here. Be careful of them. If, if you have a preacher that can wear a four or $5,000 suit, you need to be careful. My personal opinion is, if you have a preacher that wants to wear a four or $5,000 suit, you need to be careful. Be careful about a preacher, a religious leader, that likes to wear fancy clothes to be noticed. Something may not be right with that. Be careful. Jesus says, be careful of preachers that seek to be honored. They want the best table at the banquet. They want the best table at the wedding feast, at the, at the reception. They want to be honored. They want their name plastered all over the building. They, they want to be respected. They want to be honored. They want to be noticed. They want to be known. Jesus says here, be careful about these religious leaders that have a desire to be honored. Now, Jesus said, beware of preachers that take advantage of widows for personal gain. Now, we don't know exactly what he's mentioning here. We don't know the specifics of this, but... It says they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious about it. So these religious leaders are the ones with the money. They're the businessmen. They're the movers and shakers. They're the chamber of commerce people. They're the country club folks. All right? That's the way it was here. They were the Epicureans that you read about in Revelations. And, and these guys, 
they would find a widow that perhaps was down on her luck, having a difficult time making a living. Perhaps they still own their homes. And they would go in, and somehow or another, they would cheat these widows out of their property for their own personal gain. Whew! Got to be careful with that. A long, long time ago, one of the pieces of advice that I heeded is, Never do any personal business with any church members because you'll lose every time. And I've tried to do that. I've tried to not do any personal business to the best of my ability uh, with any of our people. Done my best. Had, had the life insurance and uh, uh, house insurance and car insurance with a member for a long time, but, but that was just, I was in a mess and had to get something real quick. And he took care of me because it's something I don't want to do because it says very clearly, because of this, they will be more severely punished. Preachers that are one way in public and one way in private, you you need to be careful of them. Jesus said, these preachers, that wear these fancy clothes to be noticed, that like and seek to be honored, that take advantage of people for their own personal gain, that, that are one way in public and another way in private, be careful of them. I, I take this very seriously. Years ago, one of the examples I had of a pastor, um, it was perceived this pastor loved money, and was after the people in the church with money. And I watched that happen as a young guy. I, I saw it happen. I saw it develop. I heard, I heard people talking about that. I heard them talking about that the pastor came by my office today and said he needed to do something, and so he asked me for the money. That, that pastor came by and, and talked about this need for this and, and was always raising money either for the church or for his own personal gain. And, and I heard people talking about how that left such a bad taste in their mouth. And so that was what I was seeing at, when I was called into ministry. And so I decided right there and then that with me, there would never be any hint of, of impropriety about me and money. I don't know how much people give. I have, uh, with, with Sue, when she was working our books, with Amber now and Ken who works over that, I've told them, now, every now and then I might find out something, but I don't want to know what people give. I don't want to know what people don't give because I don't think I can handle it. I, I think that I would be nice to some and not nice to others. Of course, you'd say, Lee, you're not nice to anybody. You know, <laughs> the same with all. You're antisocial. You're just a knucklehead. Greed. There's some rough spots. But I think that's the role I'm going to have. And, and one of the reasons for it is Scripture is just like this. No hint of impropriety. No hint. I say all this on this day using this Scripture on this fundraising commitment day. I don't have many fond memories of the fundraising program for this sanctuary. Matter of fact, the fundraising program for this sanctuary for me was a complete nightmare. It was a horrible situation for me. 
I dance for joy the day I heard this sanctuary was paid off. And not because it was paid off, but because the nightmare was over. I don't enjoy this sanctuary. I have people every now and then, they'll come visit and walk through pastors, different things, or, or people just want to see our building. They say, well, this is really nice. And I was agree. yeah, it's nice. I prefer a barn with a dirt floor. And there's some reasons for that. First of all, when we built this building, the fundraising system, there was a conflict between the barring people and the anti-barring people. I don't know how many folks left our church because they said it was sinful to borrow money. Now, I was caught in the middle of that. Our bylaws said nothing against borrowing money. And the scripture, in my opinion, says nothing about, that says that, that borrowing money is completely forbidden. That Hebrew scripture is the one people want to use. That's, in my opinion, is taken out of context. So as I look at this situation, I'm going, I think it makes sense not to borrow money. I wish we wouldn't borrow money. But I was caught between those who said there's no problem with borrowing money and those who said there's a real problem with borrowing money. And so in this fundraising effort, since we've changed our bylaws and have a new way of, of working, we don't borrow money. Oh, that's so much better. has nothing to do with what the Bible says or doesn't say. It has to do with, with pragmatic situation. It's just, not a, it's just not a choice for us. We're not borrowing money. Not because the Bible says you can't, not because of this or that and the other reason, because we agreed sometime back that we would not borrow money. We would pay for things as we go. And so for that's been different. That's been a better deal. And so the anti-barring, anti-not-barring was a major problem. There's also, which is kind of interesting that today is the pledge day, the pledge, anti-pledge controversy that we had. And there are many facets to the pledge, anti-pledge controversy. Some of you got your pledge card today and said, you got to be kidding me. They want me to do a pledge card. We don't need no stinking pledge cards. I'm with you on that. I understand that. It's between me and the Lord. Why do they think I've got to save a pledge card and tell them what I'm going to give? You're right. Why? Well, because some people believe it's important to accountability and other people think it's wrong. The pledge, anti-pledge controversy. If you are anti-pledge, don't be offended. I mean, just don't do one. It's real simple. Don't do one. Throw it away when you leave. Use it as a bookmarker or something to remind you that you're anti-pledge. <laughs> it's very simple. Don't make an issue out of it. If you're anti-name on the pledge, I'm with you on that. By George, nobody needs to know what I give. That's between me and the Lord. You're absolutely right. Don't be offended that it's asking for your name. If you're okay with giving a number on the pledge card, give that number, but, but don't be offended that you've been asked to put your name on it. Don't put your name on it. And if, you, if you're playing a game and you put on there $1 million and you sign it Daffy Duck, 
Read Acts chapter 5. You might go to hell today. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> That's funny, wasn't it? That's funny. <laughs> Don't do it. Yep, the anti-pledge, pledge controversy. It's famous across churches all across the world where they've got big closets. Where they've got big closets. There was also a conflict about the role of the pastor in the fundraising. I was instructed during the fundraising effort that uh, uh, I was to go to wealthy people and court them to give a large amount of money. And I said, guys, that's not in me. I said, I will publicly make a plea for it. I'll preach what the Bible has to say about it. But I, I'm not going to people's houses that I believe have lots of money. Why do I look at their house and look at their, if they got a newer suburban than an older suburban? You know, do I look in and say, yeah, they got the navigation thing in that suburban. They got, well, I'm going to go hit them up for money. You know, how, how do I know? Well, you know, I said, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, can't you tell? I said, no, I can't tell. Maybe... Maybe they ain't got any money. Maybe they're just beyond, you know, they, maybe, I don't know, maybe they had an uncle that passed away and gave him lots of money and it's all gone. I don't know. And I, I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't want to ever put them in a position where I go to them seeking out an offering from them. It's between them and the Lord. And a guy came to see me and he said, you've got to go and talk to people because the fundraising didn't go very well. And there's a very good reason for it, and that reason is 9-11 happened during the process. And when 9-11 hit, it went sideways. And uh, we went ahead with it. And I had several people come to me and say, hey, man, we need to postpone the fundraising of that sanctuary because, you know, 9-11's hit. We don't know what's going to happen with the money. We're, we don't know. And, and I agreed with that. I said, yeah, let's wait on it. Why, George, let's just wait and see what happens. And, and, and I, was, I was told no. I went to the committee and said, hey, guys, I really think we should postpone this. And I remember very clearly being told, Lee, reach down in your British heritage and find Winston Churchill and push us for, through. And I went, I'm sure I'm not related to Winston Churchill. Maybe I am. I don't know. We don't know who I'm related to. And so we moved forward. Tough time. Tough time. And during a business meeting we had that was well attended, it was brought up that the giving and the pledges for our sanctuary were, were not where they needed to be. And there was some conflict with it. There was some angst that was going on. And man stood up and says, well, if the preacher would do what he's supposed to do, we wouldn't be in this pickle. He didn't use the word pickle. I think he used mess or something. And I just took that and went, man, can't win with this thing. And so I tell you that to tell you this, because I want you to understand this. I should have said it back then during church, but I didn't know enough then. I hadn't been burned as hard yet. So I've been burned now, so I'm going to tell you. I, I'm not coming over to your house and asking you for money. I'm not going to do it. Now, if you invite me, that's a different story. If you say, come on over, 
we want to talk about money, I'll come and I'll talk to you about money. But, but I'm not going to risk being one of these preachers that is sought or thought about to be someone that goes after the people for personal gain. Now, that building, we said, that's not personal gain for me, but no hint of impropriety, no hint of selfish ambition is my desire. I don't always handle that. I don't always fulfill that. But that's my heart in the fundraising. A friend of mine's mom passed away. And I went down for the funeral about three or four years ago. And my friend is quite wealthy. And um, when I pulled up to the house, his brother told me, he said, he's gone to the, meet the priest for the, about the funeral and everything. He'll be back in a little while. I said, okay. And so when my friend returns back, my, his brother says to him, so how much did that cost you? And my friend looked at him and says, well, you know that remodeling project Father so-and-so's been wanting to do? And, and, and Mikey said, yeah. He said, it's going to be done now. And I looked at Shrimp and I thought, holy cow. He just, he just had to go up there and write a big check to get his mom out of purgatory. And, and I just listened to their conversation and watched his body language. And he gave more than he wanted to. There was some guilt associated with, with that money being given. But his mom had died. And, I, I, and I, I had a good lesson there. I said, I would really struggle with that uh, way of doing things. That before there's a funeral, that I would sit down with you and say, now, before we have the funeral, don't you think you should give $39,000? You know, it helps your mom get to heaven. It helps the whole process. I, I can't imagine the turmoil that goes on with that. So, that's my position. So, we get to the next part here, verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Jesus watched how much was being given. Wealthy people gave large amounts. This widow that Jesus notices giving her two small coins is quite interesting, is that person, not that direct, specific individual, but that person that he says the religious leaders are taking advantage of. Now, I think there's no question about this, that if you had a banquet honoring the greatest givers at the temple, 
the widow doesn't make the list, right? She's not going to be recognized. She's not going to be appreciated. She's not going to be honored because she only gave two small coins. All the other givers, the wealthy donors that have given large amounts, they're going to be noticed. They're going to be a, a rewarded, recognized for their giving. But not this widow lady. But Jesus flips it on us. And he says, this widow has nothing left. And so she's given more than all the wealthy has given. So Jesus teaches that it's not how much you give, but it's how much is left that matters to Jesus. For the wealthy have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. This lady's sacrifice, and Jesus commends that, this lady gave with faith. I mean, to give all you had, not knowing where the next meal comes from, means that she's trusting the Lord to provide the next meal and to meet her needs. So when you talk about giving, it's not how much is given, it's how much is left. It's between you and the Lord. You have an opportunity to give. The Lord's laid it on your heart to give, do so. You can give all today, you can give throughout the year, you can give on a weekly basis, a monthly basis. It's between you and the Lord. But when you give, come and consider not how much you give, but how much is left after you give. Help us, Lord, to follow you, to do what you want, to be your children that obey. In Jesus' name, amen.